You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. And if you are listening to us on Sunday morning uh, with a adult beverage in your hand, uh, please drink responsibly. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later, along with some environmental bills that went through session. Uh, and a lot more. Uh, but uh, first of all, I need to introduce our very special guest. Uh, we've got Clay Aiken here with us on the Domecast today. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for having me. I'm such a big fan. Welcome. So, so we, uh, we mentioned you uh, last week, and I was saying apparently you invoke Clay Aiken's name, and he appears because uh, <laughs> he all of a sudden is in our inbox saying, when can I show up? On I the was Domecast? listening and I thought, oh Lord, he's going to say something mean. <laughs> and when you didn't, I was like, you know what? Okay, these guys are as nice as I thought they were. And I was in town, so I said, let's get, I want to come in and be on the show because I listen every week. Every week. Wow, we are, uh, we are glad to have you as an, as an avid listener. And, uh, um, and here I was thinking that uh, Josh Lawson from the State Board of Elections was our biggest fan, no. our most famous fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, he may be the most famous, honestly, but I'm the biggest for sure. Well, if you're going from American Idol to uh, Celebrity Apprentice to Domecast, you know, it's <laughs> a, uh, there's a trajectory yeah. and it's clearly <laughs> straight up. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll talk a little bit about goings on both at the, uh, the state and federal level. And uh, but first of all, uh, Clay, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what's new with you? We haven't heard from you in a while. That's exactly uh, the way I as, like it. As long-time <laughs> in and out readers, and uh, uh, I was going to say Domecast listeners, but I'm not sure it goes back that far. No, uh, you ran for office a few years ago. So what have you been doing since then? Well, I'm, I'm, I've kind of tried my best to do as much laying low as possible. I, I made a choice before I ran to distance myself from, from the music world, in large part because of the campaign and wanting to make sure that people saw me in a, in a in a more, in a less performance-oriented way, although let's not kid ourselves, we've discovered politics is pretty much only performance nowadays. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to be seen that way, and I didn't, I wanted people to try to see me in a different way. And after the campaign, I just sort of decided, you know, I kind of appreciated not having that always around my neck. So I've spent um, most of my time since the campaign focusing. I mean, I still do some performance, but I do it mostly privately, and I keep it. I mean, it pays the bills, but it. I keep it out of the public eye for the most part. Um, and, uh, and then I have done a little bit of work with some publications. I've done a little bit for Salon um, and uh, a, a startup uh, site slash, I guess, news source um, called Bold uh, out of New York. I don't really, I do a few things with SiriusXM. It's just sort of some fun stuff. I, I spent 11 uh, years touring, 11 plus years touring, and then I spent a, a year punishing myself in politics. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a l- few years of not punishing myself or killing myself with, with work. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to kind of just do the stuff that I find interesting, like Domecast. So. <laughs> And how, how much time do you spend here? Um, I try to be here once a month for, um, I mean, I, admittedly, I, I, still, I still live here, arguably, but I um, spend more time in New York nowadays. I'm probably here 20% of the time, and, and outside of North Carolina, the rest uh, of the time, not always in New York, but, but I'm, I'm only here maybe 20% now, right, currently the last year or so. 
So do you think politics is uh, going to be back up in your future? Do you think you uh, have a, another run for office in your future? Um, politics is always in my future because I'm listening to y'all. Um, but, I mean, I don't have any plans to run for anything, no. And I know y'all reporters are going to write down the word plans and read into it in some way. No, I'm not running for anything. Um, I, but I do, I do leave the window open if I find a real reason to do it. You know, I had a reason for running in 2014. That was not specifically because I wanted to be in Congress. I, I felt like, you know, some sunlight needed to be shown in certain areas and, and people needed to pay attention to things that I, I felt they hadn't been paying attention to uh, in that district and people they hadn't been paying attention to. Um, and so I ran in large part to kind of bring some attention. I mean, I'm not going to lie and pretend that I wouldn't have been happy to have won, but we also know that District 2 back in 2014 was very, very, very gerrymandered and still is. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I felt like people needed to pay attention to the incumbent uh, in ways they hadn't in the past. And listen, I, I feel like even though we didn't win, we, we, I like to take a little bit of credit. I think George Holding would, would say he gets more credit, but I'd like to take a little bit of the credit in the fact that people saw the incumbent in District 2 at the time, and when she ran for re-election, she, you know, people knew her more than they had in the past, and I think that had a lot to do with why she lost her, uh, her primary. But, but that's, that's, just, that's just one reason why I ran. I uh, covered that uh, some of that campaign as well as as, as did Lynn, but and, and I'm not saying this to compliment you. It just seems like a fact. You really made a point of going to the middle. I mean, you you didn't buy into the, everything the Democratic Party was saying. I remember distinctly you being on national news programs talking about that. It makes me wonder, do you think there's any room for the middle at all in national politics? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's sort of loaded because... Yes, I think there's room for the middle, but I don't think the middle looks like people think it does. You know, I do some stuff with Megan McCain. She and I have been, uh, she had a radio show, a conservative radio show for a long time, and we're working on some stuff uh, for the future that may compete with Domecast. We'll see. Um, uh, <laughs> but, um, and she always calls me a moderate, and I say, you know, yeah, there are things that I moderate. There are issues that I moderate on, for sure, and that probably is a product from, of being from North Carolina, which is more purple. But I also think that I'm, pretty progressive on certain things but i i think more more so than moderating i am frustrated with my party and how it has behaved i was a bernie sanders supporter and and a staunch one went on national news supporting him many times and interestingly people consider bernie sanders to be the far leftist candidate or considered him to be the left candidate left of hillary and, and in many ways he was but a lot of his economic message a lot of the the stuff that he talked about really was more it certainly wasn't moderate but it certainly appealed to a more traditional working class democratic voter and so do i consider myself a moderate not really, but do I consider myself in line with the way the Democratic Party of 2016, post the primary, uh, behaved? No. Um, and so I think there's room for reason. Uh, Megan always says that I'm a, I'm a moderate, and I say, no, I think I'm just reasonable in the sense that I'm not interested in trying to get in a political jab for the sake of getting in a political jab. If there's a Republican with a good idea, let's, let's go for it. You know, I've been pretty vocally supportive of how professionally I think Senator Burr handle, has been handling this Senate investigation. Um, I like Richard Burr. Would I vote for him? 
tomorrow? Maybe. You know, I think that we're going to, as a, I'm a Democrat who thinks we're going to, see, this is why you know I'm never going to run for anything again, because I'd never win a primary if I say this. Um, I mean, I think we're going to have Republicans. I'd rather have Richard Burr, Lindsey Graham type Republicans who I think are responsible and respectful of different opinions than not have, a, than have Republicans who are far, far, far to the Ted Cruz right, who aren't going to listen to the other side. So I uh, you call it moderate, I call it reason, reasonable. And there's no room for reason in politics nowadays. There's your answer. <laughs> what do you think of what's going on in uh, Republican Washington, D.C. right now? Obviously, all eyes are on health care, and we, we saw some polling numbers about how that's playing back here this week. Uh, the uh, uh, numbers say that 53 percent, and this is the latest poll, which I believe was uh, public policy polling, so that 53 percent disapprove of the Senate health care bill, just 33 percent approve. Um, how, how should the Democrats be reacting uh, to this, and, and should they be pursuing uh, single-payer, or how should they uh, approach this? Well, I mean, I, would I like single-payer? Absolutely. How should the Democrats respond? I mean, that's been my frustration with the party in large part, because I, a part of me believe, I mean, it's health care. People are always going to be upset. No matter what you do, they're going to be someone. The other side is going to say that it's they're going to be death panels, and it's going to scare people one way or the other. So people are going to be upset. People are, need their health care. Um, I've been sort of one of those those Democrats or progressives who has really sort of wanted the Democrats to just be quiet for a little bit and and stop saying the sky is falling. People will see this bill for what it is, um, and and moderates like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and and quite a few others now will recognize this is not going to help us in 2018, it's not going to help us in 2020, and it's not going to help our constituents. So I kind of feel like Democrats should lay low for a second, which I think for the most part they have been in the, la in the last several weeks. Um, and then when it goes away, as Mitch McConnell is saying now, he doesn't, he's got a Rubik's Cube in his hand, he doesn't look like he's going to be successful with it. At that point, hopefully you will see people like Susan Collins and some, and Lindsey Graham, John McCain, even uh, a lot of Republicans who've said, we're going to have to work with Democrats. And, and try to put something together. Uh, you know, then it's got to pass the House and it's a whole other thing. But um, I feel like one of the, you know, my family voted for Trump and my family still supports Trump. And I have found that it's just better for me to let them do that instead of trying to change their mind. And I feel like right now there's a part of the left that is, I mean, there's a, most of the left is angry and upset uh, over the, the Trump win. I mean, I am too. But but it doesn't help change anybody's mind for me to tell them they're wrong, you know, uh, because they think I'm wrong, too. And they think I'm listening to the liberal media and I'm biased and I think they're listening to the conservative media and they don't know it. It's not going to help me to do that. And I think that that the Democrats, to some degree, hurt themselves more by constantly saying how horrible Trump is and how horrible the Republicans are, because it just I mean, I think it I think it helps his argument that people are biased against him when all they hear is, you know, he's, he's a fascist. He's going to, you know, all these horrible things about him. So I, I kind of feel like we'd be better served to let people see what he's going to do or not do. Um, certainly stand in the gap to make sure horrible things aren't done. You know, if we can keep health care from passing and people, 20 million people from losing their health care, we absolutely must do that. But I think a lot of the rhetoric 
doesn't help at all. It fires up the base, absolutely, but it doesn't help change any moderate voters. I went to Trump rallies. I did some stuff and have done some stuff for The View um, quite a bit. Came back to North Carolina actually twice for Charlotte and to, and to did an HB2 thing last summer. Um, but I also they sent me to a Trump rally. And, you know, you're not, I, you're not going to change these voters' minds by telling them they're wrong. How many times has your mind been changed because someone told you you were wrong, you were wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong? Never, never. Let's, you know, you have to convince me, you have to show me. And I think that'll happen to the, for the most part if we stop telling people you're wrong. You know Trump uh, from Celebrity Apprentice. I'm wondering if you see uh, the Trump from the show reflected in any way in the Trump in the White House. Well, I used to say that I do know Donald, did know Donald Trump. I knew that Trump. And I, all, and I actually was very hesitant in 2016 later on in talking about that person because I always liked him. Um, and, and I imagine that in person, if I saw him again today, I would be charmed by him again because he's a very gracious person in person. He's very, he's a nice guy and I always liked him. But yes, I see things now as he's president that I can look back during Apprentice and think, oh, see, now that makes sense. Trump didn't decide who got fired on Apprentice. He's not, I mean, NBC made those decisions. We'd be sitting in a boardroom, not unlike this, you know, you remember the boardroom, and we'd do all of the histrionics, and there used to be a little thing right on his desk that looked like a phone. He pretended it was a phone, but it was actually a teleprompter where the producers were sending him notes. Oh, such and such happened. You know, he didn't know people were getting in fights uh, during the week while we were doing these tasks. The producers did, and they'd send him notes, and he'd say, oh, well, you two didn't get along. Well, you didn't know that. And I think to myself, the man as president definitely has a teleprompter sitting on his desk right now with people telling him, oh, well, such and such is in the health care bill, don't say this. And I feel like half the time his teleprompter has broken down as president, and he doesn't know what's going on. But he didn't make those decisions. He didn't fire those people. It was very much a, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And to me, and I'm not saying this to be uh, incendiary in the same way that I just said two minutes ago, don't bash, but Donald Trump isn't the businessman that people believe he is because we saw him on TV playing The Apprentice, and he did look like he was leading. But on The Apprentice, he doesn't lead. He does the he delivers the task to you. The kids come around and look and see what's going on to some degree. But Trump shows up for the task delivery and for the boardroom, and he's told by the producers, "Here's what happened. Here's who should win. Come back. Let's take a break to change tape," which was bullshit. We all knew there wasn't no break to change tape. And <laughs> he'd go back in the back real quick, and they'd say, oh, this is who has the lower Q score. This is who gets the least ratings for us. Fire them. <laughs> and that's who they would do. And he'd come out and do it. He did. He makes the decision on the very last night, which didn't work out for me again. But, um, <laughs> but he doesn't run it. So I, I see... I see, yes, Lynn, that he probably is leading the country in the same way that he did Apprentice. And, and I laugh because he's a nice guy, but I think he's, I think he's in I'm, the, the image that sticks with me of him more than anything over the past year was when he walked out on stage after he had won. And I know him well enough and was around him enough to recognize that face as a oh, shit, <laughs> you know, I didn't expect that I was going to win. I think we all saw that face and kind of thought that's what he was thinking, but I'm telling you, I, I, knowing him, that's, that's, that's what he was thinking. And, yeah, it, it fascinates me that I think he really 
he's, he's, he's at pains to ever admit he's done anything wrong, right? We know that. But he's, he, he knows that there's a lot on his plate and he's not quite sure. But I don't, he still doesn't seem to me, at least, to be willing to do the work and the research to find out what's going on. I mean, I watch him. I don't think he reads his speeches before he gives them. In fact, I know he doesn't because you'll watch him give a speech and you know when he comes off the teleprompter for a second, he's even the ones he's got a teleprompter and I could always tell he'll he'll get to a place and when he comes off teleprompter, usually that to me says, oh, this is a point in the speech. He didn't realize he was about to say that. Someone wrote it for him. It came up on the teleprompter. And it's something he likes. It's something that gets a good crowd response. So he'll come off the teleprompter and he'll repeat it. Watch. Every time he repeats something or he doubles down or underlines something, it's because he got to the place in the speech and he was like, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> because I think it's the first time he's reading them, honestly. I don't know if that answered yeah. your question or not. Yeah. But. Did he have that um, yank your arm out of the socket uh, handshake years ago? I don't remember that. <laughs> no, I, I don't. And certainly that's been a lot in the news, especially right. since his yeah. Poland visit. But um, I don't remember that. He certainly does. Uh, he, I, I believe, obviously, that that is a power play on mm -hmm. his part, right? He does have this amazing alpha. He gives off that whole alpha vibe when you're around him. And no one on the show was ever told, call him Mr. Trump. We're never told that. But you just do. You know, when you walk in the room with him, and maybe it's because you've seen him. I mean, I've seen plenty of celebrities in my day, and I don't get really starstruck. And I'm not starstruck by him. But I certainly had seen him on TV enough as Mr. Trump and as the, you know, this business leader, and their air quotes for those folks listening, <laughs> business leader, that I felt like I needed to call him Mr. Trump. And, and, you know, I don't know if you may have read it somewhere. He was actually the second person I called after I announced mm -hmm. um, that I, the video came out that I was going to run for Congress. I called Jim Hunt first because he's a political idol. And then the second call I made was to him because partially because at the time I had a, enough respect for him in the political world that I wanted him to hear it from me, partially because I was worried he was going to go on Fox News later that morning and say something. Um, <laughs> so I wanted, and I knew that if he was one of the first people I called, he'd feel honored and he'd say wonderful things. Um, but he does, that handshake is a power play, and I don't know that he needs it because he's definitely, maybe he needs it with world leaders, but he definitely had that alpha thing with everyone on the show. We just kind of said Mr. Trump. I'm curious, right after the campaign, you said you were going to run for something again, you know. I, I, I thought that, didn't you tell Esquire, well, maybe in the next six years, you know. Gonna, well, I mean, yeah. I, well, did I, Lord, I don't remember what was said on that yeah. thing. I couldn't even watch the whole thing because it made me so uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> the, what about it made you uncomfortable? It was raw. I mean, I had, I had agreed to let them do it under the, the, Understanding that you stay out of my way, you can have me on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings for two hours. But other than that, I want to know you're here. They couldn't ask me questions when we were out on the road. Um, so, and and the first two episodes I watched in full, and they made me very uncomfortable just because it was so raw, and I felt like I was back there. It seemed probably to me, I don't know, you guys may have a better judge, uh, be able to judge it more. Um, it seemed incredibly real. I mean, it was. I felt it was very true to form. It was exactly what happened. There was no, I didn't feel any editing. And I started watching the third episode and it just was so, I got very bothered, not by what they did, because they're not a biased media, <laughs> but, but because I saw myself do things that I was not thrilled with myself on. And I just didn't want to watch it. 
again. Um, and I, to, after that, I said I would run for something. I mean, certainly in the wake of that campaign, you know, maybe maybe in the wake of that campaign, I thought I was so I wanted I felt like I was so close to winning that maybe I needed to try again. Um, I, with a clearer head now, I don't see myself, you know, like I said, I don't see myself running for anything at this moment. If there was, like I said, a reason uh, that I felt like I could do something that other folks couldn't, um, then yeah, sure. Um, but I'm not running for office because I want to be in office, which what 90%, 95% of people who run nowadays are doing. I don't, I don't, I feel like I kind of like my life enough to not put myself through it unless there's a reason to do it, right? Yeah. Well, thanks for the first uh, dome cast with the explicit rating on it. Oh no, did I? I don't think that the, the that <laughs> actually qualifies. But if it does, I apologize. You can bleep it out. <laughs> well, we have had some news out of D.C. that directly affects North Carolina in the last week, uh, and that was that the uh, voter fraud commission that President Trump has drawn up uh, sent a request in to Secretary of State Elaine Marshall's office for voter information. Uh, there's a couple of problems with this. One of them is that Secretary of State Elaine Marshall's office doesn't have anything to do with voter information. Uh, that's actually all uh, overseen by an elections board, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but uh, the elections board agency basically said, uh, well, we'll give you the information that's public, but we're not going to give you um, personal information. Uh, so, uh, Colin, can you tell us a little bit more about what happened there? Yeah, so North Carolina is kind of uh, like a lot of other states where uh, their response to this uh, commission's request is basically, we will give you what is public. And that doesn't include the things that people are really freaking out about, about their last four digits, their social security number. This is just essentially what you can look up on the website, uh, on the Board of Elections website right now about any of us who's registered to vote. You can find someone's name, their address, their party affiliation, uh, which elections they voted in. That's all all on the internet anyway. Uh, so the State Board of Elections is going to essentially treat this um, as a uh, public records request. And I, I keep saying State Board of Elections, but technically they are now the bipartisan st uh, board of ethics and our uh, elections and ethics enforcement. It is uh, changed over to this new format uh, that Roy Cooper is suing over uh, just within the last month or so, uh, and they are operating without a board. So there's, uh, I'm not sure if there's even a provision for them to offer to give up more information to this uh, commission, but certainly right now because the board is completely vacant, uh, this agency is being run by uh, state employees essentially for the time being, um, they have to sort of treat it uh, like your run-of-the-mill records request as opposed to giving up anything else. Now, the situation with the board itself is fluid. It could change within the next week or so. We're waiting the NC Supreme Court uh, coming in and ruling on Governor Cooper's request to uh, basically block the new law of the new elections board from taking effect, which would kick it back to the old system. So what Cooper wants is this law to be put on hold pending lawsuits, and then the elections board goes back to a separate elections agency and a separate ethics agency, and the elections board would be three Democrats and two Republicans that he would get to appoint. Um, if they rule against him and rule on the side of the legislative leaders on this and block the uh, stay request, then the bipartisan board continues and Cooper, I think, would have no choice but to go ahead and make appointments to that. And that's appointing four Republicans off of a list submitted by the NCGOP and four Democrats uh, from a list submitted by the NC Democratic Party. Um, so it could go either way. Uh, certainly, you know, the, he's been uh, rejected to have this uh, law be blocked by both the NC Court of Appeals and the Superior Court below that. 
However, the NC Supreme Court has a slight majority for Democrats right now. So uh, it's possible he could get a better response from them than he's gotten from some of the lower courts uh, so far. And that's a long way of saying that if we have a board, whether it's a bipartisan board evenly split or a board that's three Democrats and two Republicans, they may have the option to uh, release more uh, or uh, change how they're responding to um, this commission's request for data. And we've we've heard some complaints about people that you know from people that they they would release some of this voter data, but essentially the board is saying or the agency is saying we have to. This is legally required, right? Yeah, it's to, the same. Uh, if if you or I sent them a letter and said I would like this data, they'd have to provide that to me or you. We don't have to have you know the presidential seal of approval uh, to get this information, and it's pretty much on the internet. So there's uh, been some misinformation out there. People have been apparently calling the Secretary of State's office to complain. North Carolina does not have a Secretary of State who deals with that. Ours deals with lobbying and business registrations. And so the Secretary of State's office put this big thing on their website uh, that says that, you know, don't call us about this, call the Board of Elections, uh, which apparently I'm hearing reports that it's causing people with Secretary of State business to get confused and then go to the Board of Elections uh, for an LLC request. Uh, There's also apparently been some requests for people who uh, have want to have their voter registration canceled because they're worried that uh, their personal information is going to get out there, which is, of course, a, a kind of a scary thing for people to be thinking because uh, you don't want anyone to not be registered to vote uh, because they're worried about their social security number getting out there. And in this case, I think those concerns, particularly for North Carolina, are unfounded. That's just not going to be put out there um, in any sort of public sense uh, under the terms of the request that's been made. Well, uh, Clay, what do you uh, what do you think about this larger issue of uh, the Trump administration looking for voter fraud and trying to, uh, I think, what they call it, basically protecting election integrity by kind of going out and getting some of this this voter information? I mean, I think I, I tr- I'm trying to be fair-ish every time I look at something and recognize. I mean, to me, it looks like a. I don't like to use the word witch hunt, but it looks like just a political. Uh, ploy to try to get people to believe that Donald Trump is fighting for the little guy and he's trying to, you know, he's playing to this base with this storyline. That's the way I see it. Granted, uh, listen, there are people who voted for him who I'm not going to convince otherwise. They're going to believe that he's really fighting for them. To me, in my opinion, he's he's doing this to try to show people that he's going to cut down on voter fraud, which I think studies have pretty much shown doesn't exist. Um, as a As a progressive who believes that the right to vote is paramount and that people should have access to to be able to vote without having to pay for it. I mean, it's essentially a poll tax to do these voter IDs. The courts have, have pretty much said that. It's just another it's just another way to put it a, a, to polish a turd, to be honest with you. That's the way I, I see him doing this. It's been really interesting seeing how many states have refused to do this. I think last count was like 44 or 45. Lots of even uh, uh, conservative politicians uh, who are in charge of voting records in some states have said that they're concerned about uh, the Trump administration maybe trying to use this to kind of gin up some fears about voter fraud or things like that. And um, I, uh, I I need to just do a good little uh, plug for the PolitiFact NC stuff. Um, we were actually featured on John Oliver this past weekend. Um, I don't know if people saw that. Um, with a fact check of ours that we had done uh, with uh, Trump saying that uh, illegal voters might have won uh, North Carolina for Barack Obama in 2008. Uh, we ruled that pants on fire, uh, which was what uh, John Oliver was talking about. But 
that's something that Trump had talked about for a ton of different states, for North Carolina, for California, for New Hampshire, um, and just nationwide. And there's really just, you know, there's absolutely no truth to it. This whole voter fraud, widespread voter fraud thing is just kind of baseless. But when he does that, I mean, again, this... I mean, everyone knows my bias. When he does that, it's if, if 44 states aren't doing it, it's still a win for him because he gets his people to believe that he's fighting for them, even though he's horribly biased. I mean, if it's 44 states doing it, they're not all Democrats who are saying no to this commission, right? So, but he's able to he's able to say, "I'm fighting for you in these states," and the establishment is. And that's really what's more important to him. It's not necessarily, in my opinion, getting things done. It's more looking like I'm trying to fight for you. And that's going and that I think that's working for him. I think it's going to work. Well, on a different topic, we're waiting for uh, Governor Roy Cooper to uh, make some decisions on some of the bills that came out of the legislative session that ended last week. And uh, some of the notable actions he took pretty quick after the session ended. Uh, he signed into law the brunch bill, which we can talk about. And uh, he vetoed uh, an environmental bill. So, uh, Craig, what did that bill do? Uh, and uh, what's the prospects for it? Uh, being enacted anyway in the legislature? I think it probably will be enacted anyway in the legislature with a veto override. There, there, there weren't a lot of blockbuster environmental bills this time, but there were a couple with sticking points. This was one of them. Among its provisions was a, a process of um, <clears throat> dispersing wastewater from uh, sanitary landfills by, uh, uh, it's called aerosolization pumping it into the air where the spray just kind of settles over a vast area. It's just liquids, leachate liquids that accumulate in a landfill would be sprayed in the air, prompting the uh, attorneys for the Southern Environmental Law Center to say this is, we like to think of it as garbage juice uh, in, a, uh, in a snowblower. Uh, they said the technology is just not proven. Uh, Jimmy Dixon, who's a farmer, state representative, main proponent of the bill, uh, I think responded to that characterization as, that folks is what did he say? That that folks is fake, fake news personified or something, something to that effect. So fake news is what you know serves a lot of purposes. Anyway, that has been uh, vetoed. I think that it'll uh, be an easy override. There's another bill that we're waiting to see what the governor does. It was a, a big. Uh, alternative energy, sustainable energy package that was put together by a lot of different interests over like nine months, basically to promote solar and uh, people could lease, homeowners could lease solar panels and they, were, they could buy stakes in solar wind farm, I mean, solar farms. Um, it, it was kind of a concise thing all about solar. Well, the Senate tacked on a four-year wind moratorium, they, a moratorium on wind projects uh, near well, the concern is that uh, these big, tall wind towers will interfere with military training missions. So uh, that's being promoted by Senator Harry Jackson, uh, Harry, Harry Brown from Jackson. And then they ended up uh, settling on a – they talked about a four-year moratorium, and they ended up settling on a shorter Yeah, they uh, finally band, cut right? it back as a compromise to two uh, – 18, 18 months. Well, it's all it's – all, I think it's – well, okay, 18 months. Um, and – but it still has nothing to do with the solar bill, and that's kind of a big, uh, you know, the warning was the people who put this together is you can't do anything to this bill. You can't take anything out or put anything in, or it's all going to come unraveled. So we'll see what happens. So can I ask, can I ask a question? One, I guess I can understand what the motivation behind tacking on the, the wind moratorium would be. At least, I mean, there's, a, there's an argument that it might interfere with, right. with military exercises. Back to the garbage juice bill. <laughs> What's the motivation behind letting people 
do why do they why do they want to let people spray this? Uh, who wants to do it, and why do they want to let them? Uh, good question. It's uh, it's something that uh, farmers and uh, and people who operate these landfills want to do uh, because it. Is easier. For, it's cheaper for them. Uh, well, I think it, it, it's a way to, to get rid of uh, uh, wastewater that accumulates uh, in these places. Uh, it's a permitting process that's required. The state, if it's a, a lined sanitary landfill, the state would have the option of of either issuing a permit or not. But if it's unlined, then they. Uh, no, I'm sorry. If it's lined, they'd have to issue a permit. If it's unlined, they'd have the option of issuing a permit. It's just approving this technology, um, which is unproven. I think the uh, argument is right that they, if they spray this stuff, it gets rid of all the water harmlessly, supposedly, mm -hmm. into the air. Mm -hmm. It all air disappears, dissipates, and then the gross stuff settles back settles into the back landfill, in, right. right? And so it, I suppose it what is the what, how else would they get rid of, rid of this if they didn't spray it? How have they I think been doing it? Just, I don't think they're, they're dealing with it. I mean, uh, I'm not really sure. I haven't written about this particular legislation. Sorry, I just get my news yeah, from y'all every no, week. This I, is how I learn. I get to ask you this time. Yeah, There's like eight of us <laughs> in the room here. Do they pipe into wastewater treatment plants? Um, with my brief experience with the garbage disposal, yeah, I, I think so, I think some of it Warren does. Some of it does go. Yeah, you have to Anybody? forgive me. I'm always just sort of. I mean, I'm, I'm admittedly often skeptical of why these things get passed. And my gut instinct yeah. is, if it's cheaper for these lawyer, these these farmers to do it this way, or if it's less expensive, that's yeah. why they want to do it. And is that a good enough reason yeah. for us to pass a law? We've got like nine so people in the room. And Lauren, why do they? Somebody just showed up. Lauren, why do they want to spray garbage juice? Um, basically, their main argument, oh, and I'm Lauren Horsch with the NC Insider, their main argument was that spraying it is a great way to just disperse it so it's not leaking from these landfills. And um, from there, they said, oh, when you spray it, it's just liquidization. It's kind of like if you use hairspray, it's like spraying an airspray bottle. But there's no real science to how, if there's contaminants in the landfill, how that would affect the people living around the landfills. So that's basically well. The water it. evaporates once you spray yes. it. Yes, yeah, but we don't know about bottle, the but the, the dirt no doesn't really knows. evaporate. Yeah. It just falls on my, my car. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I think you had to have in order to get a permit in landfill, you had to have some kind of system to collect leachate. Not mm -hmm. that you, you would just let it sit there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Is it cheaper for them to spray than it is for them to do the other option? That I do not know off the top of my head because I haven't gone into like the cost impacts of it. Um, but there's been studies, quote-unquote studies. I don't actually know because I haven't read the studies, and no one has given them to us. It's not necessarily, so. though, because it's better for the environment for them to handle it mm -hmm. this way, or it's a preventative measure to keep it from leaking into the groundwater. It's just, here's another way to do it, and we want to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And very possibly, if you're a cynic who doesn't trust politicians like me, then it's because it's cheaper for these right. for these farmers Ju to do it that way. Judging <laughs> by who's lined up for and against it, I think it is not uh, beneficial to the environment. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> At mean, least that's they, not the main factor. Yeah, when they call it garbage juice, yeah. I mean. <laughs> And their main issue was we just don't know. It's unproven technology. So let's talk about one more thing before we uh, finish up and go to headliner of the week, and which is the brunch bill. Uh, this is the one that's got everybody excited. Uh, uh, so that's uh, why we're all drunk right now. Cities. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the mimosa bar that's in called the mornings Friday. here at the News and Observer? That that needs to be investigated. <laughs> so uh, right here in Raleigh, you'll be able to go out to brunch and uh, get a mimosa or a Bloody Mary uh, on Sunday and order it at 10 a.m., uh, whereas before you had to wait until noon. And uh, the less 
covered part of the bill, but also important is uh, uh, people who go to the grocery store before noon on Sundays won't have to come back and make a separate trip to get their bottle of wine. They'll be able to get it right there at, uh, at 10 a.m. at the grocery store. So this uh, basically uh, depends on uh, what cities do and counties do. It's not a statewide ordinance. So uh, what's the uh, What's the landscape right now? Uh, there are several cities that are uh, enacting these, right, Colin? Yeah, so uh, I think the first to move forward, first in, uh, in Mimosas, is the town of Carborough. They called a special uh, town board of aldermen meeting on Monday night to emergency. authorize this. Emergency meeting. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the city of Raleigh was shortly behind them. Uh, so if you're looking for a mimosa before um, uh, noon on this coming Sunday, this very week, uh, you're going to want to go to uh, Raleigh or Carborough. And there's also some beach towns, I believe, that have uh, jumped in fairly early. Certainly the tourism business on the coast of North Carolina is in full swing, and those restaurants want to get on the act as soon as possible. So I think some of the towns there, Surf City, Atlantic Beach, and then I think a couple on the Outer Banks are in the process. I don't know if they've uh, enacted it yet or not. Uh, other towns like Chapel Hill and Durham uh, have to wait and go through sort of process they have to have a new ordinance. There has to be a public hearing. Um, it has to you know wait a couple weeks. So for the next couple months, I think it's really going to depend what uh, jurisdiction you're in, whether uh, you get turned away from ordering that drink or buying that six-pack of beer at the grocery store on Sunday mornings. Um, and I think from what I'm hearing, there's uh, a fair number of local leaders, particularly in more rural, more conservative areas of the state, who really aren't interested in pursuing these ordinances at all. So I think you're going to, uh, for a while from now, you're going to have a patchwork of ordinances. So you're going to have to keep track of this if you travel around the state and you like to drink or buy alcohol on Sunday mornings, uh, which town or county you're in. Because it really differs. Uh, if you're in the city, it's on the city council to decide. Same for any towns or any other municipalities. Uh, if you're in an unincorporated area of the county, it's up to the county commission to set an ordinance for that. And some of the counties haven't been that quick to do it because a lot of counties don't have necessarily restaurants in their uh, unincorporated areas. They do have convenience stores. The gas station near my house is in an unincorporated area of the county, so I'm interested to see what, what Wake County does with it. We also found out this week, uh, I had some questions on Twitter about the RDU airport. Is is that in, you know, is it in Raleigh? Is it in Durham? Where Who's in charge of deciding whether you get to order a drink uh, before your flight on a Sunday morning? Um, and apparently that's unincorporated Wake County uh, that decides that, um, which I, I was unaware that uh, the Raleigh-Durham airport is in neither uh, Raleigh nor Durham. It has a Morrisville address, Morrisville. but it's not actually in the huh. town limits of Morrisville. So I, I was wondering whether, you know, the Morrisville City Council would have this, like, powerful role of deciding what, um, you know, air travelers <laughs> get to do, but... <laughs> and the authority, the RDU Airport Authority doesn't have control. Yeah, I think they have sort of planning jurisdiction over that area. So they decide, you know, if you're going to build a new gas station or whatever on that land, but they don't necessarily handle uh, the actual ordinances involved. Uh, this is interesting to me because it's an example of the General Assembly giving I – mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. It's an example of the General Assembly giving authority to – the local governments to do things, yeah, which, which is, is not completely different than yeah. the trend we've seen recently yes. of them making decisions. Yeah. It's, it's more in line with, I think, Republican philosophy generally to let local let local government be yeah. local government, but not what they've been doing. And a lot of this was a compromise because this bill did have a lot of opposition from some of the most conservative Republicans. Uh, and so as a way to sort of uh, make those folks feel a little bit more comfortable with it, they included this knowing that uh, particularly the ones from really socially conservative parts of the state, their counties and town leaders probably aren't going to push this anyway. So they can then fight that battle at the local level and it can be in 
line with different values in different parts of the state. Were there folks who wanted to push to make it a statewide thing right away, blanket? I think the restaurant lobby would have liked to have that. I mean, they pushed really hard for this bill. They even... What? Uh, they didn't listen to lobbyists? <laughs> oh, no. They ain't yeah. getting campaign funds. Well, it's, it's always entertaining the, the the dichotomy between you've got the sort of pro-business lobbyists like the Restaurant Lodging Association that was pushing this hard, and then groups like the uh, very conservative Christian Action League who uh, take a very hard-line stance on, on anything that's in any way a religious issue and, you know, are very supportive of all blue laws and want to keep all of them on the books. Who's got more money and who's got more voters? That's exactly. The thing, right? That's the <laughs> where it comes down to, I think. And, and there's a long history here of uh, letting locals decide on on blue laws. I mean, there are still some places, I think, where you can't get liquor by the drink and there might even be a dry county or dry a partially county. dry yeah. Well, there's actually several dry counties. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those dry counties have municipalities within their boundaries that do allow alcohol sales. But there are a lot of counties, if you are driving through a really rural area and you pull up to a country store and you think you're going to be able to buy a six pack of beer there, it's not going to happen in some of these counties. You actually have to go inside the, the municipalities uh, of these counties in order to buy any alcohol. All right. Are you have uh, brunch plans for Sunday? Claire? I don't drink anyway, so it doesn't bother oh. me. It doesn't affect me at all, but maybe I'll start now. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy your newfound freedom as a North Carolina citizen. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it. We should take a break and come back with Headliner of the Week. So be thinking about who you want. Stay with us. This is an American Red Cross blood donation alert. The Red Cross is facing a critical blood shortage and is issuing an emergency call for eligible blood and platelet donors of all types to give now and help save lives. Use the blood donor app. Visit redcrossblood.org or call 1-800-RED-CROSS. Welcome back to Domecast, and it is time for Headliner of the Week now. And I realized that uh, I was so eager to introduce our special guest, Clay Aiken, I didn't introduce the rest of our panel. So uh, we've got uh, Colin Campbell uh, of the NC Insider. It's the first time I've actually been able to uh, say that in this uh, podcast, but Colin Campbell of the North Carolina Insider now, uh, along with Lauren Horsch of the NC Insider. We've got Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer, and also of the NNO. We have Lynn Bonner, Will Doran, and Matthew Adams. And uh, I'm Jordan Schrader. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, 45 <laughs> minutes into the podcast, let's go around and uh, do headliner of the week. Uh, let's start with Lynn. Uh, Lynn Bonner, who's your headliner of the week? Well, this is a little bit of an old one. I wasn't here last week, but I'm going to pick the uh, League of Municipalities. Um you know, cities and towns don't have a lot of juice uh, these days down in the legislature, but they successfully worked to uh, defeat a billboard bill that was being run by one of the most powerful people in the legislature. Um, he uh, sarcastically kind of thanked them for it, but uh, yeah, in a time when um, it's hard to uh, represent a city um, on Jones Street, uh, they beat back uh, a billboard bill. Okay, the League of Municipalities, uh, which used to have huge uh, power down at the legislature. And uh, uh, so with, between this and getting the power to, to authorize 10 a.m. drinking, you know, and maybe maybe it's a, maybe a comeback in the making. Yeah. So the League of Municipalities in the hat for headliner of the week. Uh, will Doran, who's your headliner of the week? I'll say Charles Francis, a uh, local Raleigh attorney who announced that he'll be running for mayor against Nancy McFarlane. Um, this is the the week, actually today, Friday, is when they start the uh, the filing for local races, so we're probably going to be hearing a lot more uh, now that state politics are kind of over for at least the next few months. Uh, he's running 
basically to the left of uh, Mayor McFarland talking about need for more affordable housing, living wage, uh, more comprehensive transit options, things like that. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how much traction that gets. All right. Charles Francis in the hat for Headliner of the Week, along with the League of Municipalities. Uh, Lauren Horsch, who's your Headliner of the Week? Uh, so I'm also going to go with some local election headliners, um, and I'm going to go with Obi for mayor, who is the dog running for mayor of Durham. Now, if you know anything about local Durham politics, it's going to be a crowded mayor's race this year because uh, Mayor Bill Bell, who has been at the helm since I do believe 2001, is you know, he's done. This is his last term. So we've gotten some interesting characters running for mayor this year. And uh, OB the dog is one of them. What this is a write-in candidate. What happens yeah. if a dog wins? I'm just, you, you've obviously uh, I don't, I, I actually don't know because, well, I mean, I didn't even think, because I didn't even think he was going to run as a run-in, a write-in candidate. So this is uh, big news in Durham. I don't think we've ever had a dog run for mayor. Um, I will fact check that later. But um, so we'll see what happens if he gets uh, written in as mayor. You know. Well, and Sean Ha was quoted as uh, saying that uh, didn't he say something like lots of dogs have run for mayor and some have even won, mm-hmm. but uh, no squirrels have ever run for mayor, and that's why Obi can't stand squirrels or yeah. something like that. I yeah, mean, yeah. even in my I'm I'm from I'm a Minnesota native, and there's been mayors that are dogs in Minnesota, so it's yes, happened before. Governors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All must right. Not even get started on California, where I come from. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so OB for mayor. Now, if he's a write-in candidate, and you need to know how to spell his name. So it's O-B-I-E, I take it. Yes, uh, O-B-I-E. Okay. All right. Uh, Craig Jarvis, who's your headliner of the week? Kind of in the same vein as Lynn. I'm not going with a person or an animal like we usually do. <clears throat> I'm going with the staff of the elections board working under uncertain trying times. <clears throat> it's not only uh, at any day now could become a state board of elections, board of ethics, as well as often overlooked, it's going to be a state board of lobbying. So they took over three functions of three separate entities, and they really don't know when the whole thing's going to kick off and get started. So kudos to them for their hard work. All right. The staff of the elections board, the state uh, bipartisan state board of elections and ethics enforcement and lobbying compliance. There's quite a bit there. Uh, (laughs) All right. In the hat, along with the League of Municipalities, Charles Francis and Obi. Uh, so we come to you, Clay Aiken. What's your who's your headliner of the week? I'm not. I, I almost didn't want to do it because I'm. I get my news from y'all every week, and these little headliners of the week are how I get the tidbits okay. that I don't normally get. So I wanted to just listen and see who won. And I'm also not very good at winning things, so I don't have any <laughs> expectation um, here. But but I'm, I'll get you. Can you? Yeah, you'll definitely need to rank us <laughs> just in case I get that second panel again. Um, I'm going to pander a little bit though, and I'm going to go with uh, NC Politifact because you know if you get featured on. John Oliver, as as they did this week for their pants on fire uh, uh, rating, then you know that's national news. It's an op- it's a, it's big headlines on HBO all across the country for NC Politifact. Not to mention that NC Politifact does a great job all the time. And I do I, I listen to the Domecast. I read the NNO. I pay attention to what they're rating. So I'm a fan of Politifact as well. NC Politifact as well. But they're going to be mine for being uh, featured on John Oliver. And as long as we're plugging PolitiFact NC, we should say that they are also keeping uh, the running, they will, uh, keeping a running total of uh, uh, Coupometer promises, Roy Cooper promises. And if you want to see the latest on that, we'll updated quite a few of those this week. And you can go uh, see the sort of, there's sort of a pie chart that shows how many promises uh, 
uh, he's still working on and how many have kind of stalled out. There's there's not quite so many kept or broken yet because we're not quite at that point in his governorship. But uh, And personally, I think you need to add one that says screwed by the General Assembly because, I mean, right. some of the promises he doesn't keep are going to be there because he doesn't have any power. But whatever. Yeah, or a blame Phil Berger <laughs> category for that. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I think he gets the blame for all the, uh, at least on the PolitiFact meter, uh, for anything that doesn't happen. But he also gets credit for things other th- other people do. So, uh, so check out the coupon meter. All right. Well, uh, in this, the, I know in this the long. Yeah. I was just going to say in the yeah. longest ever try to get Matthew uh, headliner of the point. week. <laughs> we are now at our one, two, three, four, five, sixth person here. Uh, so Colin Campbell, who's your headliner? Of the All right, week? I am going with Attorney General Josh Stein, who seems uh, uh, like he's still coming out swinging despite having had a, a major budget cut that I guess would have gone into effect this week that he says he's going to have to lay off 100-plus uh, attorneys. I haven't heard more details on the layoffs yet, uh, but he was in this news on Thursday. Uh, for filing a lawsuit against uh, Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos uh, over uh, her action to freeze rules that uh, would forgive federal loan debt for students that uh, had been cheated by uh, some predatory for-profit colleges. He's joining a variety of other uh, Democrats who are attorney general from 18 states and the District of Columbia uh, who are involved in this lawsuit. Uh, And certainly uh, going against DeVos may uh, attract some more ire from our in the General Assembly on the Republican side, uh, but he's he's still going to do it uh, despite having a, a budget cut to deal with this month. So Josh Stein for Headliner of the Week. Okay. Attorney General Josh Stein in the hat for Headliner of the Week, along with PolitiFact NC, the staff of the Elections Board, the League of Municipalities, Charles Francis, and OB the Dog. Um, quite, a, quite a few candidates this week. Uh, longtime listeners will know that the guest uh, tends to win these ones, but they also know that the animals do very well on headliner of the week. So I think it's a it's a tight contest between Obi and uh, Politifact in NC. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was about to make I a second place joke. St- yeah. I almost don't want to break my streak. Give it to the dog. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I love a good plug. So let's go with Politifact NC and uh, Clay Aiken as our winner this week. And uh, uh, so congratulations to Will, actually, really. Uh, so uh, for. Uh, Will Doran, for a long list of people, yeah. Will Doran, Will Doran, Lynn Bonner, Greg Jarvis, <laughs> Colin Campbell, Lauren Horsch, Matthew Adams, and of course, Clay Aiken. I'm Jordan Schrader. Thanks for listening to Domecast this week and catch us next week. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.